What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to episode 59 of Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong provides marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds. And they count with us enables companies to significantly reduce their costs when receiving or making international payments all in one platform to help increase operational efficiencies, saves you time, money, and effort, and allows sellers to manage their business profits from a single source. If you have questions about Ping Pong, we have those questions. We have a link about more uh, about ping pong in the descriptions and the show notes below. So go ahead and check us out. If you want to learn more, I will make sure that my email is up there on the show notes as well. Uh, but thank you everyone for joining us live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Or if you happen to be listening to this via download on Apple, Amazon, uh, Google, or Spotify uh, podcasts, wherever you consume your podcasts, that is where we're located. So. Go ahead and do me a favor, follow, like, and share this episode on social media and hit that reminder button on YouTube for future notifications of Crossover Commerce. You can follow Ping Pong Payments or you can follow myself, Ryan Kramer, on social media. We go live about four to five times per week, so it's pretty typical. We will be going live with experts in our field, uh, or if not, just one person will have a panel of people that are going to give you nuggets about Amazon and the e-commerce industry. So. Go ahead and because this is live, if you're watching this live, go ahead and tell us what you think in the comments below. And also, if you happen to be watching us at a different time, go ahead and still write in what you think and we'll make sure we get to those uh, later on as well. If you can't catch us live, again, please share it. Go ahead and follow us and download that at a different time. But about our guest today, enough about the show. I'm really excited because uh, this is somebody that I've been wanting to get on our show for a very long time now. I'm super excited. We were just catching up before the show. Um, he is doing so many great things in terms of the sourcing world. But about his biography, he's one of the world's leading sourcing experts who has personally visited over 500 factories across the world and sourced over 2,500 products. He manufactures for brands like the NBA. That's a big deal. I was a former employee of the NBA uh, for a franchise, so I definitely know how stressful that can be to get merchandise to all those different uh, all those different teams. The United Nations, to name another uh, entity, and the Olympics, all big name brands that he's working with, as well as other big box retailers and Amazon sellers. He specializes in product design, development, manufacturing, best practices, and how to find the right supplier, price negotiation, and of course, much more. So welcome to the show, King Gazari of sourcing with key and can what is up man how are you doing i'm all good ryan good good to see you man uh, thanks for having me on the show it's a pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to diving in uh, on the episode ryan i didn't actually know you worked for the nba as well that's pretty cool so a lot of people don't know this before e-commerce kind of in my like stints i worked for the indiana pacers and indiana fever so the nba and wnba franchise here in indianapolis i did that for about two and a half years so i got to see all the crazy chaos behind the scenes uh, spe- specifically, maybe we can touch on this, the, when the NBA specifically went out over to Nike products, that was chaotic because that delay on sourcing, uh, all the goods, we didn't get it, uh, jerseys even in 
uh, in time for the NBA season, season to start. So people were just hammering, when are we going to get our jerseys? When is the product going to come in? And it was months delay. So just like in e-commerce, delay in retail can really affect you as a brand, you as an entity, and, and, and Nike got hit pretty hard right away from that. So I don't think that was you, right? <laughs> no, 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 that, that, that wasn't me. No, no, no. Uh, in terms of the NBA, I was just doing like uh, homeware products. So we were doing right. blankets, towels, bed sheets, pillows, uh, stuff like that. So we got the official nice. NBA license uh, for one of our brands. And then uh, we could make any product with any team, any player. We got their logo, their signature, all that sort of stuff. And then we actually had some NBA players like as partners within our company as well. So they would promote the products on their social media. Uh, which was really cool as well. So that was a really fun journey to be on. And I was living in LA uh, at the time as well. Got to go to a lot of games and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, when when the season got suspended and when lockdown happened, and then I just decided to come back home uh, in that time. So it was a really exciting journey. And I'm sure like when um, sport picks up again in general and we start to allow, you know, fans back in arenas, like the industry as a whole will pick up. But super exciting period and uh, loads of opportunity in uh, in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we actually, uh, my first company, believe it or not, uh, doing sourcing and licensing, we had license with the NBA, uh, NBA, uh, NCAA, NHL, and NFL. And we did products for like home gift gardening. So we were Mm -hmm. doing, we were doing products like garden gnomes and garden flags, a lot of like home gift garden stuff, because, you know, fanatics are, they'll buy literally Mm -hmm. anything of their team. And it's, it's almost like a guaranteed sit to a point, but Obviously, you have to get the license and whatnot, but it was so fun to work with licensed goods in that capacity. So uh, I was it was always my go-to when I was trying to feature products on on our deal sites or any other products, uh, uh, you know, storefronts that we were working with. So a lot of fun stuff to work with. But yeah, uh, I appreciate that, that, that's, that's, that's a really good point. Um, oh, sorry, I was going to say that's a really good point about licenses, no, right? Like, you know, like once you get your foot in the door with one license, it's easy to acquire the other ones as well because like like you said you had the nba license but then you got um nhl nfl and ncaa and stuff like that and i feel that once you prove that the business model works with one sport entity it's much easier to like go to the other ones and say hey we're already supplying the nba and then it's kind of like okay cool like how do we do this but it's hard to get your first one in the door but once you get the first one because before working with the nba i was working with the olympics so it was easy for me to say hey this is a category of product i've done for the olympics and then they're like interested if you know what i mean so you kind of need like one domino to fall and then it's actually interesting other licenses also approach you as well because um we used to go to like licensed trade shows like um in las vegas in january there's a sport and licensed tailgate show and we would have all our nba products on display but then nascar would approach us and be like hey can you do that right. for us and fc barcelona uh, the soccer team what well, I say football, you guys say soccer. Um, you know, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they would approach us and be like, hey, can you sell, can we give you our license rates? And you, because essentially licensing is just like, um, if you prove the concept works for one license, then it's just, they want to see how much revenue you can bring into that category. Like it, it, how much money can you make for that license? And if your model is successful, then any other license, it makes sense for them to add you in as well because you're just increasing revenue for them. So. Uh, it's, it's super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in, in terms of that capacity, I think I know exactly what show you're talking about. I never got to go to that licensing event, but I was always the only person back home, like selling the products. Everyone else got to see like, oh, there's this cool like grill uh, set of tongs or something like that with like uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers logo on it. And like everyone was just like, yep, give me 10 or like 10 like uh, different teams. Like 
you, you know, like in terms of the scalability, profitability, you have tiers of different, like who's your money maker. Same thing with NBA. Uh, NFL was always, uh, you know, just echelon of like products. Like you can always make money off of Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers, uh, the hot team, like New England Patriots and whatnot. And then you had like the secondary ones. Like if you found a product like that, it was always few and far between because like the Carolina Panthers, not a big money maker. No offense because they don't have a market share. So it was always fascinating to see like which products we would put invest more money into specifically, uh, you know, since there's fan fanatics that will buy literally anything, but you have those big teams that have all the products uh, with their team on it. And then you have those other teams who don't have like as many things uh, as possible. So that, that's kind of, it was always a fascinating thing to look at of, how do you break things down? Who's going to be profitable uh, specifically in the NBA? You had to do this planning out. You had to know that Golden State Warriors were going to blow up a year or two in advance so you can get all your products and whatnot uh, ahead of time. So I don't know if that was the same thing with what you had to do or oh, if it was yeah. more like on demand. You know, it was crazy for us because like we did some print on demand like domestically in the States, but then like for your key players, like your Steph Curry's, LeBron James and stuff like that, we would manufacture in large volumes. And, and we got hit a couple of times because in the last like four years, I don't know if you've noticed, but NBA players are getting traded way more frequently, right? Yeah. So we would order like a container of like LeBron James pillows and then he was like, right, I'm going to LA. He just left Cleveland and we're sitting here for all that Cleveland stock. Or like we had a lot of Dwayne Wade product for Miami and then he was like, right, I'm out. And the Bulls, yeah. And then he went back. <laughs> yeah, and then you know what's so funny is we're sitting on so much Dwayne Wade stock and it eventually got traded back to Miami. So we could like take that clearance stock like 50% off and put it back up to full prices since <laughs> Miami. So it was, um, so, so the, I learned a lot of lessons in terms of the player side, but what, what you said as well about the hot teams and stuff, that's super interesting as well because we were talking to retailers like Bed Bath and Beyond and you know they would say right we want to do golden state warriors products because they're the hottest team in the league right now so they say but we're not we're not going to go nationwide yet we're going to trial it in all of our stores in the bay area so we only want warriors products just in the bay area and we'll analyze that see how it goes and then if it goes well then we'll add all teams all cities like so you know if you have like chicago bulls products they'll only put it in the chicago stores Yep. but they'll monitor the order volumes based on the success of the other teams and you know it, it, it's funny what you talk about the fan bases as well like no matter how bad they're playing like the new york knicks products will always sell because it's such a number one number one seller always constantly even the dallas cowboys for as long they haven't been probably you know legitimate since the 1990s when you know my dad was like oh yeah like troy man emmett smith all those guys and they've built such a unique fan base down there. It's that's why they're the most profitable team. That's why because of this ecosystem they built out. And no matter what you slap their thing on, it, it I guaranteed it was always a big seller. So it, it's just it's so weird. Like that's the buyer psychology I always look for in terms of like deals we can market up to and what you're selling. So I'm glad we're on the same page with that. I, it's not often where a lot of people can talk about licensed goods like you and I. <laughs> you yeah. and I. Yeah. You know, like one other like final really interesting thing I learned about the licensing model is that, you know, a lot of like Amazon sellers are curious and are interested about all right, or how do I go about acquiring this license? But yeah. I always feel that like what, what I learned, you know, um, fanatics.com basically run NBA.com. Like, yep. It, it, we were all, we were selling directly to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and it's like you sell to Fanatics, and then they put it on NBA.com, they put it on like LALakers.com, GoldenStateWarriors.com, they put it on NFL.com, all the individual team stores. They basically own all the leagues, right? And the, Fanatics had a rule that if you want your product on Fanatics, you're not allowed to sell it on Amazon. 
because they, first of all, they don't want the products on like competing websites, but also I think Amazon's got quite a bad reputation with, and it might have improved or it might have changed now, but with like counterfeit sport products. Yeah. So people were doing like without a license, knockoff Lakers logos, knockoff Dallas Cowboy logos and selling it for very cheap because they weren't paying the royalties. And then fanatics were like, right, we don't want to compete with those people. So if you sell on Amazon, you're not allowed to sell uh, on NBA.com. And we, we we just decided not to sell on Amazon. We wanted to just stick to the leagues um, to be like as official as possible. And what was really cool is that, you know, when you sell on fanatics and you sell on NBA.com, you sell on the team's website and you also sell on the team's store. So like if you went into like, pre-lockdown if you went into like the milwaukee bucks store you would see like some of our pillows of yanis in there and it's like it's just it's such a cool feeling to um because in e-commerce you know you don't really get to touch and interact and feel your products they're just sitting in a warehouse and they go direct to the consumer but there's something really special about it being in retail uh, and being in actual arenas and stadium stores and seeing like fans pick it up and fans buy it and show it off and take pictures with it and stuff like that was like really really um I know motivating uh, for me to keep going so but it's just a completely different business model you know yeah absolutely and and that's the thing is uh when you do have select it's almost like nike right like nike selective like they don't sell on amazon obviously but you know where to find those goods i know i think fanatics does a really good job in terms of like where you can find licensed goods specifically for if you know you can't find a knockoff version anywhere else it's all running through one funnel, so it's pretty easy to say, like, yeah, of course, like, I'm going to work with you guys directly. Um, but, yeah, they have a good model. Uh, it was always, like, yeah, not piss off uh, fanatics and <laughs> make sure, yeah. like, if we are selling, because we were a wholesaler, too. So if other people were selling online, we'd have to shut the number real quick before we get, you know, other people get uh, upset with us. So, anyways, that, that's the license side of things. So your, so your background is super fascinating in terms of, like, how you got started was it always in sourcing or how did, how did you get into the sourcing game in general? Like, you know, the bio is only so long, but I want to know like what made Kian Kian and how he got, uh, how we got to today. Yeah. Great question. I, so I've always been sourcing from day one. Um, I was lucky that, uh, from university, I could jump straight into a family business. My dad started a company uh, called Highlander, and his passion was for you know the outdoors, camping and outdoor and hiking and stuff like that. So he set up a brand like 30 years ago uh, for outdoor products, and um, I sort of saw that business grow uh, as a child. And then every month, I would work in a different department in the company. I'd work in the warehouse up until I was like 16, packing boxes and sending out orders. And then you know, I'd work in a sales department, work in the finance department, and then when I graduated university my dad was like do you want to take over the buying side do you want to come to china with me do you want to learn how products are made i was like yeah cool so when i was like 21 i went to china for the first time and uh, i was just fascinated on that trip and it was supposed to be um just a, a three-week trip but I ended up staying uh three months and i set up an office there and then um, just basically based myself there full time, went back and I lived there and I moved there. And in that time is when I went to go and visit like um, hundreds of factories and really, really got to understand how products were actually made. And that that was the most interesting and inspiring thing and gave me such a an, an appetite for growth because like when you think, when you see a product in a retail store, you kind of just see it as one piece on a shelf, right? But when you see it in a factory, you see it in like 30 different pieces. You know, <laughs> let, 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 let's take a, a backpack, for example, right? You see the shoulder straps, the foam that goes right. in the shoulder straps, the zippers, the buckles, the pullers, the inside lining, the waterproof coating, 
everything right and then when you've got like a 15 dollar product in your mind and you're like okay i need to get it down to 12 dollars you've got like 30 different calculations you can make in your head of like right how do we reduce the cost of this item or if you want to improve the quality you've got 30 different things you can make in assumptions you can make in your head of how to improve the quality and it's almost like you start to to think in 3d and that's just like one product but then imagine seeing like hundreds of products in hundreds of different factories and then your mind just goes crazy in terms of like right what are the capabilities and what are the possibilities so i just became like obsessed with um understanding how products were made solving problems through products um and also just you know building relationships as well because it's a completely different culture and i'm just fascinated by the way that China's been able to grow so fast and how they've been able to just um, scale business and uh, businesses enormously and just the culture of the people and going out with them and learning how, how they do business. And so I was like, this is where I really want to be. So I kind of spent my early 20s uh, in China and I still, you know, visit three or four times a year uh, quite regularly. But I've not, this is the longest time um, since I went that I've You're not, almost having like Chinese you know. home, China homesickness, right? Like it's almost yeah. a home away from home. Yeah, I'm, I miss it a lot. Um, so ho hopefully we can get back out there soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then it's fascinating to hear you say like how you have to conceptualize almost like a puzzle, how you can fit it all together and then how you break it down by price, what you need to either uh, change or edit to make that product. What was it like? So what what year was that when you were kind of going through taking over that business, learning the logistics and buying side of things? Uh, two, 2010 was the first okay. time I went to China. So, so now uh, you've had experience for almost 11 years, oh, 10 plus years now yeah. of doing all that. What was it like walking into that first factory in terms of like, were you overwhelmed? What's, what is it like just the mass amount of people or just the mass amount of like moving parts? What, what's it kind of like walking into a factory for those people who haven't like been there for production wise? It's not just one product, right? It's yeah. hundreds of products going on at one, one time. Yeah, you know, um, I was just fascinated to be honest because, like, you see, the, the, the first backpack, backpack, the first factory I ever went to was for uh, military backpacks that we do, right? And we make uh, for the military, it was like I don't know, twenty liter bags, thirty liter bags, forty, fifty, sixty, eighty, all the way up to ninety, and I'm just like going into this factory and seeing like yards like yards the size of like football fields like worth of fabric and then just the fabric getting cut and the fabrics getting sewn uh, and then just seeing all the workers and you know like some factories have got a lot of workers i've been in factories where there have been like um 1500 employees and i've been in factories where there's been like 50 employees so it's just uh, super interesting. It's there. There's no right or wrong answer to say, okay, well, a factory with like only 50 employees is going to be bad, and one with a lot of employees is going to be good. There's kind of like pros and cons of, of working with each because a fact a smaller factory is much more likely to give you like a lower minimum order quantity because they're, they're going to let you like trial more colors and be more flexible on design. But um, you know, a, a big factory with like 1,100 workers will be like very, very you know strict in their um, core competencies and like the way they do things and they'll be able to deliver like really really fast and they'll have systems for everything they won't be so flexible so you can kind of like pick and choose the size of factory that you want to work with and um I, I was lucky enough to see like a lot of different sizes and then like once you know uh you know how factories operate you can kind of just like pick and choose all right what are the strengths and weaknesses of this factory versus this one all right this one might give us a very quick delivery time and it might be a cheap price, but the quality is not quite there. This one right. delays a little bit, longer lead times, but the quality is fantastic. And I've never had an issue with them. Or this one tends to like fail inspections. 
um, but you know their price is very good. So th there's all these sort of things based on like what vision you have for your brand and where you want to sit in the market. Um, is like what type of manufacturer you want to align with, and I, I think that's something really important. Um, you know, for the listeners to consider that um, it's you get to choose who you work with, right? And you have to pick a factory which fits your purpose. It's it's not like oh hey I found a factory I'm good now. It's like no well what are their core values and what are your core values and are you in sync with each other like do they also are, are they willing to give you support do they believe in your vision do they want to see you grow will they offer you like low moqs will they give you financial support because they believe in your idea and they believe in you and because it's actually interesting i am um, the last time i was in china was november 2019 and i am um, interviewed I, I i took a little gopro with me and i interviewed um one of my my uh, factories and the, the factory boss, he's been involved in like loads of big business, loads of big orders. And I asked him, you know, what's the biggest order you've ever manufactured? And he said it was um, a few million dollars and it was 800,000 units of one product. I was like, all right, cool. And then I was like, right, well, what's the smallest order you would accept from a new customer? And he said 500 pieces if I believe in the vision of the customer. And I found that so interesting that someone who's doing, you know, 800,000 pieces is also willing to do 500 pieces for someone new if he believes in their vision because it's also about them being able to understand like where you want to take your business and where where are your aspirations for growth and are you coming up with new ideas and are you an innovator are you a product developer and they like to invest in that as well because if they can invest in your growth and they support you well they're the factory who's going to be getting your orders and will be benefiting from that as well so the relationship side of things is so important and you really get to understand that when you go and see them face to face and you see the scope of their operations and things like that yeah i guess i have a couple questions from that is that a common plot practice for factories to say that to an individual if they're saying if i believe in your vision this is what i will i'll do for you is that commonplace you know what? I think it's just something that's never really talked about because, you know, we see all these like courses and stuff and people are told, all right, go online, ask them what's their MOQ, what's their best price. But like if you actually get to know them on like a human level, it's like people like doing business with people. People buy from people the same way when we buy other brands products, we like to get an idea of like, you know, who is the founder and, and all that sort of stuff. And what do they believe in and what are their core values? The same way like people might want to buy Tesla's just because Elon Musk you know, is ahead of the company or they like iPhones because Steve Jobs designed them and they're fascinated by Steve Jobs. It's the same way working with factories as well. Like I like to buy from certain factories, which I believe in the factory boss and they like to do business with me because they know I constantly develop products. I'm always coming up with like new ideas and stuff like that. And over the last 10 years, we've grown our businesses a lot together. So um, I think, but no one ever really talks about the human aspect of the relationship and the people aspect of the relationship. And that's just something that, you know, it can't be ignored. It's super difficult right now, like with not being able to go over to China. So we're not really able to build those relationships as well as we would like. But um, we can use, you know, the WeChat application, you know, for, for anyone who doesn't know. WeChat is like an app on your phone. It's like the Chinese messenger or the Chinese WhatsApp. And that's a really good way to build your relationship. You know, keep all your important conversations to email, like your price and your specification and your delivery time and stuff like that. But on WeChat, you should be having conversations, especially right now with Chinese New Year just passed. You know, like, how did you like your holiday? Where did you go? Uh, did you get to see your family? What type of gifts did you exchange? How do you celebrate? Was there fireworks? All that sort of stuff, you know, and, and send some photos. Oh, here's me with my friends. Oh, we just had the Super Bowl here. This is our Super Bowl party, you know, and then just get to know each other on a human 
different level. And then you'll see that next year, um, well, I say next year, like next year in Chinese New Year, like right. you'll have a much more um, better relationship and then you'll be able to talk a lot more frequently. If you've ever got a problem with your order or with your stock, you can give them a quick call and be like, hey, can you just take me down to the factory real quick, get on a video call and just show me what's going on with these barcodes? You know, like you, you're able to do that. but if you never build that relationship, then you're just chatting on Alibaba and you're finding out about the problems when the goods actually arrive, you know, in your warehouse in the US. So it's super, super important to, to build that relationship. Absolutely. And I just want to give a shout out to everyone who's chiming in. So well said, very nice piece of advice. And for everyone who's uh, watching on LinkedIn, again, people are saying hi, LinkedIn user, sorry, can't say who you are, but just give us give us those credentials and we'll be able to see it. But uh, Scott from FBI Island, Keen is the sourcing rock star. Uh, Ashley and uh, and then we have Melissa Simonson. Well done, <laughs> thank you, Melissa. I am so proud of being able to book Ian because he is a very busy person, but uh, always powerful info. Ian shares in his expertise, but yeah, you're super busy, so I'm super glad to have your insights on sourcing because I'm always tr constantly trying to learn more about it, especially in 2020. I think it was like a headache year for a lot of sourcing mm -hmm. people. Um, but if you, I know you tout out. Uh, you're a lot of information on your YouTube page. So we have a link in the show notes. Make sure you go check it out and subscribe to his channel. Let's get him to 5,000 followers today, hopefully uh, audience. So subscribe to his channel as well. Um, so Keen, I had a couple different things. So right now, because it's a little difficult to go see your supplier, obviously you can't just fly over there. Is it common practice for Amazon sellers to go visit their, uh, maybe their sourcing or manufacturer uh, before they even go into production with them? Is that pretty commonplace for Amazon sellers or e-commerce sellers? Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you've never been to China before and you're interested, the best time to go would be in um, April or October around the Canton Fair because uh, for those of you who don't know, the Canton Fair is the biggest import-export exhibition mm -hmm. in the world. There's over 26,000 like Chinese exhibitors there. It's kind of like Alibaba.com in an exhibition center, right? You've got like yeah. all the supplies there um under one roof and and that's really cool because if you haven't decided yet who who's to be your manufacturer you can go and literally um go and talk and interview all the manufacturers like in one day for one product won't just see them all and the cool thing is you can actually touch and feel the products in front of you and ask them the questions you want like right there and then because imagine like all right first we have to select our manufacturers and then we have to organize the samples and we have to send them over and then we have to give our comments write them down make our changes send it back they remake it send it back so like you cut out so much time just by being able to go over to the fair and once i go to the fair and i select all right these are the factories i like to work with then i'll go and visit their factory after the fair as well because you almost you want to validate as well that you know the person that you're about to do business with you want to see their operation and stuff like that but generally any factory which attends the canton fair is a very top factory you know like alibaba has had you know a bit of like difficulty sometimes because sometimes there can be like scammy suppliers on the platform but there's also very good suppliers on there as well you just kind of have to filter out who are the good ones and who are the bad ones but generally you don't get bad suppliers at the canton fair because um and and suppliers who attend the canton fair don't tend to list the products on alibaba because they're so busy because their production lines are always full because they're such a great supplier and if you list your products on alibaba.com well it's like well you're you're listing it because your factory isn't so busy and you need orders well why are you not busy because maybe you're not a good factory but that whole concept has kind of gone out the window because now all the factories need to be online because if you're not online you're not getting orders right now um exactly so 
it's uh, and, and and that's why the filtering process of suppliers on Alibaba is super important uh, at the moment. And actually, the the first YouTube video I ever posted was on my sort of like step by step method of how to find the best suppliers on Alibaba, and that kind of just sort of keeps you right. Um, and that channel is just called Sourcing with Kian, if anyone wants to check that out. But yeah, I think for anyone who's considering going to China, definitely go around the Canton Fair and then go and visit your manufacturer. Absolutely. And so with uh, that being said, what what are your suggestions? How are people like filtering out good common practice uh, factories or how are, how are you finding like ones that are legitimate to work with? in that capacity, because everyone's always asking, how do I legitimize this person? Like, it might be good if I go, they might have a good price, but if I go off of Alibaba, there's always that fear of, I might just not get my products. Like that's a legitimate fear for people. How, how does that, how do you calm those like nerves or how do you go about like making sure and uh, guarantee, not guaranteeing, but like going over every single step to make sure that you are working with legitimate entities? Sure, sure. And that's a great question. So first of all, the purpose of Alibaba for me is to find the best supplier, not get the best price, right? And I think the, the first big common mistake that people make is they type in the product that they're looking for. Let's say it's blue light blocking glasses. And as soon as you type that into Alibaba, it'll come up with loads of different products. There'll be thousands of them. I think I even looked at this last night. There was over 13,000 results, right? And the result and all the glasses look the same. So it's so hard to decide, all right, which one's actually a good quality here. And the prices range from like 50 cent to $25. You just see like $3, $7, $9, $2. And you're like, right, these prices are all over the place. Like, where do yeah. I even start here? So the first thing I do is when you type in the search bar of what you're looking for, I change the search from products to suppliers. And then that changes the list in terms of, right, these are all the suppliers making this product. And then when you switch from products to suppliers, you get about like, I don't know, 900 suppliers that show up, but that's still far too many. We want to get that 900 like way down. So the first thing I do is I select, I check the box that says trade assurance. And that trade assurance just means that your payment is protected. If you've said that you want to order one thing and something else arrives, then Alibaba will, ref will refund your payment for that order. And that's that trade assurance protection. And then the next box I would tick is verified and verified just means that the factory are who they say they are. So if on their Alibaba listing, they say they have, you know, 250 employees, that they have 50 sewing machines, like a third party has gone in and verified that that information is correct. And then they get a verified check mark. So clicking trade assurance and verified are the first uh, two things that I would do. And then that'll bring your search volume way down. And then on the left side of the screen, um, it allows you to um, click the markets that that supplier mainly exports to. So I always like to um, select North America and Western Europe because the standards that we have in Europe and America are like, you know, they, they must pass these regulations. They must have these types of certificates. And they, the supplier now understands what products need to, how do you need to be manufactured for your market? But if you're buying from a supplier which only supplies, you know, the South American market or only supplies the African market, well, they don't have the same standards that we have in the US. So that's where quality problems may occur. And then once I've like populated that list, which will bring it down to like maybe 100 or 80 different suppliers, I will now scroll down the list and I want to look at the factories which have been on Alibaba for more than five years. Because any factory which has been on Alibaba, maybe like one, two or three years, I feel that they've kind of just jumped on the platform recently in order to, you know, benefit from all the stuff which is going on in e-commerce because, you know, Amazon has really boomed uh, in the last sort of four or five years. And if, if that supplier is just new on the platform, then they're just kind of trying to benefit from those online sales and are probably a, a middleman or a trading company or, or a sourcing agent or something like that. So 
if you want to work directly with the best factories, can I select the ones which are over five years? And then finally, after that, um, as you scroll down the list, every region in China kind of specializes in a product, right? So for example, if you're into electronics, chances are it's made in Shenzhen. If you're into backpacks, chances are it's made in Chenzhou or Xiamen. Um, if you're into like accessories and plastics and stuff like that, it's made in the Zhejiang province. So yeah, and I just know that like from spending so much time there. But when you scroll down that list through Alibaba, the first name or, or the first word that comes up in the company name is always the city or the, or the province which that company was formed. So okay. because we're looking at glasses here, I want to see which city name comes up the most frequently. And as it happens, if, if you check it out, if you're behind your computer or if you're listening to this on a podcast, um, the city that's going to come up is one called Wenzhou. And so now I'm looking at all the factories which have been online for more than five years and it, Wenzhou is the first name. And you can actually just do that control and find on your keyboard, type in Wenzhou or the city that comes up most frequently and then it'll filter out uh, all, all the factories which are based in that city. So this way, all right, we found the factories which we get payment protection, the factories are verified, uh, they, they have all the right certificates uh, because they supply the same markets that we do. They've been in business for more than five years and they're in the town which, in the area which specializes in that product. And then to finally sort of put the exclamation point on it, you click on their company profile and you hover your mouse over products and you wanna make sure that the products that they're also doing are uh, there are specialists in glasses. So when you hover over products, you'll see reading glasses, kids' glasses, ski goggles, blue light blocking glasses, all that sort of stuff. But if you hover your mouse over products and you see uh, iPhone cable, fidget spinner, winter gloves, then you just know that they're into like, you know, hot products and they're not a specialist in that product. So that kind of gives you that final validation that they are a top supplier for that particular product. And I've, I've got a video like explaining that whole process, but that's kind of like the way I do it. And, and I just feel that that's so important that like, you know, it's so important to source products in the right way, especially at this time where we have to do it online. And if you don't have a process like that and you're just typing products in and you find this the cheapest, then you're, you're going to you know have the negative consequences that come with that you know you might think oh i'm getting a great price for this product but you're going to have a hell of a lot of returns to deal with or negative reviews to deal with because the product's going to be junk but at least this way we've validated who are the top suppliers and once we've validated right who are the top suppliers then we can start to negotiate like i've never once mentioned anything about price but we've now said right these are the best suppliers this is who we want to work with and then we open up the conversation to say hey this is a product that we're interested in can you send me your full specification sheet or you can send them your designs and then you want to send that to multiple suppliers at least like at four or five because then you have like a, a knowledge of the market price for that particular product and you'll get your prices back and it'll be you know four dollars sixty four dollars eighty four seventy five dollars and you know that's like the price point for that item based on the specification that you provided but if you see a price which is like three dollars you know it's too good to be true and if you see a price which is like eight dollars and you know you're they're adding on a crazy margin but you know that because you've educated yourself on what is the market price for that product from the best suppliers but without doing that initial research you you have like no frame of reference of, of where to negotiate or how much you can negotiate because you don't know what is the correct price for that product so that's such a critical and key uh, aspect of finding the right supplier then getting the specification sheets, then being able to negotiate the price. And then uh, just, and, and this is a way that you gain the supplier's respect as well, because when you talk like this, and then when you highlight to them, I want to work with your factory because you have 
these certificates, you supply this market, you've been in business for this long. They're like, oh, this buyer understands like the good qualities of good factories. That's a customer that I want to work with. And you've right. gained that respect now as well. And this is something that even beginners can apply as well, because, you know, if you're doing your first order and you only want to do like 300 pieces of something, well, if you highlight all these strengths in that factory, even if your first order is only 300 pieces, they're like, well, let me just get through this trial order of 300 pieces to make sure everything goes smooth. But I'm sure there's going to be bigger orders like down the line because right. this customer clearly knows what they're talking about. And compare that to um, an Amazon buyer who just clicks on a factory listing, just says, hey, what's your best price? What's your MOQ? And can I get customized packaging? They get messages like that all the time. And that's how like courses have kind of trained people to reach out to suppliers. And they're like fed up with those messages. But if they get a nice, customized, detailed approach highlighting their strengths, they're like, okay, that's the customer I want to work with. And then right. you get the best service from day one. That, that's the most in-depth I've ever talked. <laughs> Anyone's <laughs> ever gone through, like, this is how you can detail and how to stand out. Like, this is how we stand out from a crowd. And this is how you get their best foot forward. And this is how you get the people who want to work with you and put together quality products. That was awesome. That I was just like, in my notes or in my head, I'm just taking notes. I'm like, this all makes complete sense to me. And <laughs> everyone else is also mentioning this too. So uh, we have a stream of uh, someone wants to say hello. Kian, you didn't, from Sharon Evan. Uh, Kian, you didn't even tell me you're on today. Um, oh. My best friend in the industry and he had no idea I was dropping bombs here today. So of <laughs> course, Sharon, of course. Yeah. And then of course me, Kai. <laughs> so, uh, okay. but yeah, we, we, had a, we had a couple of people. So thanks for watching, Sharon uh, and hello. Uh, all the way in Israel. Um, we hope you're, you're doing well. Uh, check out Sharon's show too. She's on uh, Seller Sessions on Thursday. So uh, definitely check her out. She's dropping bombs there as well. But uh, we had someone actually mentioned in, the wife and I went through that same problem. I'm assuming with, um, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name, but I'm assuming the problem comes with negotiating price point and then just trying to find either price points all over the place and then just trying to find that customized you know order sheet for people if they're just like you know this is our standard uh template that we're going to give customers who come at us but then if someone comes out with a customized uh sheet like he just mentioned they're going to be more apt to kind of ebb and flow and work with you as a customer in terms of like specifics that you need with your product i didn't know that about each industry or each factory um, it starts with either the province, province, but then also that each province has a different, like a different specialization. Like, is there how many different ones would you say that there are out there? Is it for not being from like have never been to China? I don't know all the different like locations. You say like this is great for textiles. This is great for you know electronics. How many different like categories would you list that out? Yeah, there's there's loads because there's like there's metal, there's like uh, machinery, there's like the automotive industry. Like there's so many different like areas which specialize in different things. And like, you know, you're not expected to know that. But the, the way that you find out is like through the search process and like outlining who are the top manufacturers and then just scrolling down the list. And then you'll see that one area comes up like most commonly. And that's not to say that there's only one area in China that specializes in this. But if you're like into making, I don't know, like something very basic, like T-shirts, T-shirt factories are not going to be all over China. Like it's just going right. to be in a couple of different provinces. And generally, like the province which specializes in a certain product tends to be on uh, their proximity to the raw materials of that product. Um, and then, of, and also like their proximity to the port as well. Um, and 
traditionally, like when I, when I went to China the first time, all the major factories were just on the coast, right? Yeah. Um, on the east coast of China, and because one would be right at the port, so they can export the products out. But the, all these port cities started to develop, and like the big cities like Shanghai and stuff and all that, they kind of lost their manufacturing because like the the cost of labor just got too high, and the factories just started to go more and more and more inland. Because it's so interesting, like seeing this growth in China and seeing this growth in the middle class, because um, you have this the, these pieces these people which have now developed a, a disposable income as the Chinese market grew. And as a result, they started to desire a lot more Western goods. So from, from when I was there in like 2010, every time I would go back, I would see like uh, Starbucks, KFCs, Pizza Huts, nightclubs, bars, loads of restaurants, all that stuff just popping up. And then imagine like, okay, the young workforce, which used to go work in a factory would now be like, why would I work in a factory when I can work in a Starbucks and play on my phone, right? And have a much better quality. <laughs> Specifically just to play on their phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, working in a factory is really hard work. And um, right. you, know, you work long hours, long days, and then you tend to stay in that region the whole year and you, and you go home for Chinese New Year. So compare that to, you know, just like, being a barista, I, I would much rather be a barista, you know, rather, you know, working. Yeah, if, it, if, it, if it's going to save some time and effort in a long, hard, you know, long day's work. Yeah. A lot of people do go like almost that easier route. And that's why blue collar jobs aren't as common anymore, but they're necess they're necessary. But I, I, I can see where you're um, coming from. Like younger generations would rather just go to more westernized, uh, you know, companies like that. So that makes complete sense to me. Um, yeah. And as a result, that, that meant all the factories moved more and more inland. So before you would kind of like, before when I first started going to China, you'd get off the plane, you'd get to the cities, and then you would just go and, you, you know, um, go to the factory and then go to this nice five-star hotel and they're not too far away. But now right. you have to get like the four-hour train inland, you go to the rural areas, and then, you know, you're working really, really far away. Spend some, but, you know, there, there, there's beauty in that as well. Like it's a completely different lifestyle, completely different culture, loads of mm -hmm. different people but it's just you have to know and you have to adapt with the times as well and you can see that it's like a, it's an aging workforce and they're not, you know someone who works in a factory actually gets paid double what someone in starbucks would get paid because like it's it's, it's hard work and obviously people don't want to do that work either and that's why like labor costs keep increasing and factories keep moving more and more inland and they move to different provinces so that list of like you know the cities and the provinces which specialize in uh, you know different products it's quite an organic list as well because it's growing and developing and changing as china develops and grows and changes as well but um, you know going through that search process just allows you to keep an eye on that that's awesome and i uh before we get to more questions that are, that are coming in what about paying uh your supplier it, i know it's common practice there's one or two ways you can either pay in usd which is can be expensive and that's what ping pong always touts is it, it's convenient for people because they don't have access to rmb or cny if you do is that is that a common practice in terms of um paying in local currency or is that a best way to save more costs in terms of because what i always tell people is manufacturers and suppliers are always going to pass on that conversion uh rate to you in your invoice and that's always an unforeseen cost that people just don't understand that it's there but it, but that's what we're always trying to educate people is if you have that ability to do it, they're not going to pass on that two to four percent conversion rate from either USD or whatever currency. Do you try to always, you know, uh, send in local currency to them to save costs? Yeah, actually, you know, Ryan, it's so interesting you bring that up because right now we're actually getting hit pretty hard with that because the RMB has really strengthened against the dollar. So, and main reasons for that is because, you know, China's uh, economy recovered way faster than everyone else's, you know, during the, the whole like virus period. 
but as a result that means that um chinese suppliers are making less money every time we pay them because if you paid your supplier you know fifty thousand dollars for a po six months ago and then you paid them fifty thousand dollars today they're getting a lesser rate today so therefore they're making less money when they exchange those dollars uh, into RMB. And I've seen that with our suppliers, we've had price increases of between like five to 8% in the last few months uh, because of the exchange rate alone. And it's, I, I use a website called xe.com to, to track the, the exchange rate and just see it like historically. And you can graph it like from, uh, from several different months, like from, I don't know, when you first start paying your supplier, whether that was like 2015, 2018. And, and the thing is, the same happens in reverse as well. And it sometimes the dollar strengthens against the RMB and they actually receive more money um, when, when the dollar gets stronger, when they make that conversion. But they never tell you, hey, I've made more money on your order. So here's like a discount back. So because of that exchange rate now benefiting them, I always just if, if they try to put the prices up, I just say, hey, by the way, in 2018, the same happened uh, in reverse. The dollar actually strengthened against the RMB. And I actually, you actually received, you know, the, the currency increased like by seven or eight percent then. And I never, um, you know, asked for a discount off you. So I think it's only fair that, you know, we also uh, don't change any of the prices now as well. And if you show that you know that stuff and you show that you understand about exchange rates, then they're less likely to mess with you. Um, but if, if they just put the price up and say, hey, the exchange rate, this is what's happened, then you're, you're kind of stuck because a lot of suppliers are actually saying it. And, uh, you know, another thing I would say about that, if you are facing increased prices because of the exchange rate, something the suppliers know really well uh, is that the freight costs have gone up a lot as well. And um, like the, the the cost of shipping has increased like so much and i was just say to the suppliers look a container used to cost me you know three thousand dollars but now it's costing me like nine thousand dollars and because of that i've now got this massive cost increase which i have to pay in order to ship my goods to then sell those items and then as a result you're going to get more orders because i've shipped those goods but if i weren't if i didn't want to pay that cost increase on freight and i didn't want to ship these goods then i'm not going to make any sales and you're not going to, as a result you're not, you're not going to get more orders so uh let's like i'll cover the freight cost increase and you cover the exchange rate increase or let's split the increase in freight cost 50 50. so if it's gone up from three thousand to nine thousand dollars the increase was six thousand dollars let's split that six thousand dollars like 50 50 uh, and we'll both pay for getting these goods over here so that's just like a, a couple of things i do um and aside from that as well you know in terms of the um paying the supplier in local currency i tend not to do that i tend to just pay my supplier in uh, in us dollars uh, and that's it because i don't want to get involved in sort of uh, booking like uh, rmb at a certain rate because then you're becoming essentially like a like a forex trader and I, to me that's like a separate business and i don't necessarily have enough time uh, to constantly study and monitor the exchange rate and decide all right when is a good time to buy uh, buy rmb when is a good time to sell it how much should i be holding um but you can give good like forecasts in terms of consider uh, right how much are you actually going to be paying for your orders over the next like three months like how many suppliers have you got how many orders will you be putting out and then what total us dollar will that be will that be like fifty thousand dollars that'd be a hundred thousand dollars will that be a million dollars and then you might decide right i've got a million dollars worth of purchases that i need to make in the next like three months let me go and buy that in rmb right now because the rate is really good and then you can kind of like secure your pricing uh, and, and secure uh, any sort of transactional costs uh, at, at that price that you're happy with. I, I don't tend to do that, but I know that some uh, some some people do. 
And, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and and then finally, one thing I've had success with as well is that I know a lot of Chinese factory bosses like to keep uh, money outside of China as well, because some of them are quite um, like fearful and scared of their government that what happens if one day the government shut their company down and they basically lost everything. So they like to keep money outside of China as well. So a lot of them actually have Hong Kong bank accounts where they keep US dollars. So whenever they ask me, hey, can you, um, the, the prices have gone up because of the exchange rate. I just say, look, how about I just pay you in US dollars and do you, do you have a Hong Kong bank account that I could just pay into there? And that's big factory bosses tend to have a Hong Kong account as well. And sometimes they accept that. Absolutely. Yeah. And if, if you're looking for a solution, obviously, in terms of like real time, if instead of monitoring mid market rates are the way to go, I know there's other uh, competitors of ours out there that do the same thing. But in terms of like FX rates to save money, even if just not paying from your bank account or, uh, you know, your foreign exchange rates in terms of like uh, international exchange uh, fees or your uh, wire fees, making sure that you go with a company like obviously with the payment service provider, like a ping pong, I'll give a plug with us and make sure that your fees are either, either covered if that is the way you can do, because in real time, you can see what the rate is going to be. I'll, I'll make sure I drop in xe.com to make sure that you guys can check out um, just to monitor what the currency is, because even if you're not using, um, even with uh, receiving funds, I'm not sure if you're selling, you're not selling on Amazon, are you? You you are currently, right? Yeah, yeah. So like receiving funds too, when you're getting those conversion fees, our rates back, obviously, um, that, that's where like uh, those fees and exchange rates, either within Amazon, you can get dinged or to your bank, you can get dinged. So no matter which way you're sending money internationally, always make sure that you know that where the value is in terms of like the strength of one currency versus another, That we're, that's where negotiation can happen. That's where you can save money, but also that's where you can also lose money. So like you said, I think to a good point is make sure that you're knowledgeable of the situation. If you want to have control over money, make sure you check out those solutions as well. So I'll put that in there. Uh, a couple of questions, uh, Kian, for if you're okay with that. Um, sure. uh, we had someone from YouTube uh, ask a question, is India on your radar for cross-border e-commerce sourcing? I know, it, and I can kind of like, maybe tee this up for you for a sports term. India is a very big topic in terms of sourcing, in terms of like not competing with China, but uh, sourcing in general is becoming really important for the India economy. And a lot of people are starting to look at that as an opportunity to maybe instead of China using India as a sourcing uh, country. Is that something that you've looked into as well? Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I do buy from uh, India and Pakistan uh, currently because Every country has like strengths for different items, right? Same way we talked about different areas in China specialized in different products. Well, it's the same in like India and Pakistan. They're really strong for uh, cotton material. They're very strong for canvas material. They're very strong for leather material. They're very strong for like wood and handcraft products. So depending on, I, I wouldn't say, right, we can take any product and we can also buy it from India. I would kind of look to see, all right, well, what products does India specialize in? Uh, and, and a really good thing you can do if, if and for any country, not even just India, if you want to see like what countries specialize in what products, you can go into Alibaba and in the products, just type in search the product that you're looking for. And on the left side of the page, Alibaba is now starting to show products from a lot of different countries, even USA. Um, so like, it, for example, if you type in leather biker jacket for men into Alibaba, 
on the left hand side it's going to bring up all the different countries and uh, which have got listings for those products and actually and i was looking at this the, the other day in the last youtube video that i made i, show, I showed this example and um leather biker jacket for men had like 2900 results from pakistan but it had like 900 results from china so there's actually way more suppliers in pakistan so it's um you, you might not know what country specializes in the product that you're looking for, but after you type it into Alibaba, it will show you. And th there's another good website called indiamarkt.com. And that's kind of like the, the Indian Alibaba. It's nowhere near as good, uh, but it is just a website and a platform that allows you to see Indian products and ch chat to Indian suppliers. And, you know, finally, one other thing I would say about India is that depending on what country you're importing into, um, India might be more advantageous. So for when I first started out, a lot of the products I was doing was just getting imported into the UK only. But India and UK are both part of the Commonwealth. So there's 0% duty on anything imported from India into the UK. Uh, so I was buying like cotton t-shirts from India and it's similar priced in China, but the ones in China had 12% duty and the ones in India had 0% duty. So just immediately you're saving 12% just on the duty alone. And, you know, Australia is part of the Commonwealth as well. So you might see, like, depending on where you're importing into, different buying from different countries might actually work in your favor. The same way, like, importing from Mexico into the USA will be more advantageous than, you know, sourcing from, you know, China or India or anywhere like that. So kind of just understand what uh, diplomatic ties your, your country has exactly. as well. Yeah, awesome. That's a great stuff. And I put India more in the comments section as well as xe.com for people who want to look and use those resources as well in the show notes. Go ahead and check those out as well. Uh, another question that came in, I'm looking for getting an ice cream trailer for my Italia IC business. Any tips or advice? That's a big, that's a big product, correct? An ice cream trailer. Yeah, an ice cream trailer. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that that's obviously <laughs> gonna be a massive product. And um, right. I'm, I'm assuming that you just wanna buy one rather than like mass produce it. So, and, and, and the good thing is when it is like a big item like that, and when it is an expensive item like that, um, the factories tend to allow to do like, you know, one item or like five items or something like that. Um, so I don't think minimum order quantity will be an issue for you. You know, if you were like, I wanna buy like one leather jacket, then that would be a problem. But yeah. if it's just one ice cream trailer, I'm sure that'd be fine. But the thing I would th consider with that is that you have to, uh, cross-reference the price of shipping and importing that product versus just buying one in your own market as well because sometimes like the importation and the logistics of that product might be more expensive than the product itself um, versus just sort of sourcing it in your home country but I would all just use the exact same methods as, as we talked about before you know going through the process on Alibaba typing it in because you'll definitely find the, the the best suppliers online for it you can also use um, import records of other brands. So if there's a, a ice cream trailer brand that you know of that you like, you can type that um, into a website called importyeti.com. And uh, there's another website called panjiva.com, which is P-A-N-J-I-V-A.com. And any um, importation, any sort of shipping documents is public information in the US. Um, so any ice cream trailers which have been imported into the US, the factory names will be listed there. So if you know the name of the, the brand which imported it, you can type their brand name in and it will show their shipping documents and shipping documents will have the factory name on it. So that way you can just get direct to the manufacturer which made that uh, item before. So 
yeah, I would use the import record websites. I would look at the same process on Alibaba, and I'd, I would also cross-reference just seeing if you can buy it domestically because it might be cheaper than messing around with all the import costs for such a big uh, and heavy item. That's a big and heavy item, exactly. So yeah, make, make sure you check that out. Uh, import Yeti, I put the, the link as well in there in the show notes. Uh, one more question, uh, I guess, Easy. Thanks for watching or watching Easy. I love these podcasts. Well, I appreciate that. Um, do products from India generally arrive by boat or air? That's a good question. Yeah, uh, both. It purely depends on you, like how big your order is. You know, if you're shipping by container, then it's going to come by sea. But if it's just like a small item, it will come by courier, uh, by air. It's really up to you. And again, it, it's like a costing exercise. You can decide, all right, well, if it's less than a few cubic meters, I'll just send it by air. But if it's anything over, you know, like five, six cubic meters, it's better to go by sea because it's going to be very expensive to send all of that by air. Um, Freight prices, as we kind of discussed a little bit earlier, are through the roof at the moment, and that's affecting the whole world, not just China. So you might find that your um, your sea freight prices will be very high at the moment. So if you wanted, you might want to hold off. If you're not desperate for the stock, maybe ship it in like April, May, June, and the costs will come like way down. Uh, but air prices has been pretty stable. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Uh, easy. Thanks for watching and listening to us. And I, I know I typically cap that at this, but I know we just have so many more questions I want to cover before this. So Keen, if you're okay, we'll, we'll keep sure. keep on going and trucking along and answering questions. Uh, I specifically want to cover um, sourcing agents and working with those. So in terms of how, if, uh, at what point do you want to work with the sourcing agent, especially with uh, pricing, you know, uh, going on high prices, uh, sourcing products, what is the best way to either engage with the sourcing agent? And then on, on top of that was the best way to, um, you know, make sure you're working with the right one. Yeah. Great question. I, and I think like before deciding whether you do or don't want to work with a sourcing agent, you have to kind of, uh, understand, okay, is sourcing aspect of the business, something that you enjoy, or is it something that you want to basically like outsource personally for me? I feel that the sourcing aspect is the most important aspect of the business. And even if you don't like doing it, it's something that you should understand as well, because you really want to understand what is the true cost of this item. You want to get to know the person you're doing business with, right? Uh, as in your factory, you want to know that you want to know where your goods are being made. And you also want to be able to pick up the phone and speak to that factory boss if there's ever any issue with the products. Um, but then if you're like, hey, sourcing is not for me, uh, I just want to like outsource this, then um, just bear in mind of like the, the, the pros and cons, right? The disadvantages of using a sourcing agent is that you kind of lose that factory relationship and communication. I would only work with a sourcing agent, which allows you to uh, have a relationship with the factory boss, even if you are buying through a sourcing agent. Um, and then, you know, th the biggest disadvantage I would say is, all right, what happens if the sourcing agent goes missing? Like what happens if, you know, one day they're like, quit their job, they don't want to do it anymore. What happens if, you know, they go on holiday, they get married, they have kids, whatever, or what happens if they get hit by a bus and you can't speak to them anymore. And then you're like, well, where are my products being made? Like you're not going to find out. So it's very, very important that if you're going to work for a sourcing agent, work for a sourcing company, that if one person goes missing, that someone else will step in and, and they have your company information. Um, and then the, the other sort of thing I'd be mindful of if you work for a sourcing agent is that if you don't have access to your factory, right, that sourcing agent is going to work with the factory, which incentivizes them the most. What happens if a factory says, all right, I'm going to give you like 5% of this order if you bring that order to me. And then a sourcing agent can actually switch your factory without you ever knowing based on the factory, which is going to pay that agent the most for bringing them that order. So it's just things like that that I don't like that it goes on behind the scenes and you never quite have that full visibility, but there are sourcing agents which give you sort of full transparency 
uh, as well. And those are definitely the ones that I'd recommend working with. And um, I'm actually working on a pretty big project at the moment uh, where I've not really re revealed it yet, but I will be soon. But I'm building something pretty special uh, to cater to this side of the market. So, so definitely stay tuned. And I'm going to be uh, releasing some more info about this shortly. Well, let us know when we can do that and we'll, we'll certainly help out this product in terms of releasing that that god what a tease can gosh yeah darn. i thought you were gonna drop some big bombs right now uh for this but, but <laughs> stay you, you tuned know, ryan what i'll do is as soon as that's ready we'll jump on we'll do another episode and i'll i'll explain all about that let's do it and i'll make sure i let sharon evan know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she she's always getting on me. She's like, when's Kean gonna be on? I, I I meant to tell her, but no. Uh yeah, we'll we'll definitely do that. We'll either record it or make sure that we get on and we talk about that project because there's a lot of cool projects that uh ping pong is actually really cool and a part of you actually are part of uh Neuro, correct? Are you part of that project over there uh with Mina and Samer by chance? Uh, no, I'm not actually. So I, I've, I've, I've chatted. I thought they were. I thought they were talking with you about that. No, no, no. We, we have. So I'm, I'm helping them out uh, with some oh, gotcha. for the product. Um, and obviously, I, I recorded a YouTube episode with Samra as well. It's not been released yet, and uh, Amina and I chat a little bit as well. But now they're great guys. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, th I swear you were a part of that project. So uh, that, that's my fault. But yeah, that, that's another cool project that we're a part of in terms of like sourcing and really just bringing a product to life on Amazon. Uh, another uh, thing that's going on right now, uh, obviously it's kind of past right now. And if you have a plan for the Chinese new year, it's still somewhat like I say lingering and it's an event that it's almost like shut down for an entire month or so. Is that maybe you can talk about like, how do you plan for Chinese new year? Because it's almost like it, it's almost like Christmas or key four shut down for, for a lot of the United States. How do you plan for Chinese new year? If you're an Amazon seller and you're sourcing from China? Yeah, it's, it's a really important time of year because essentially that's when the factories tend to shut down for about a month. I mean, the office workers will go off work for like maybe a week or 10 days. Uh, so the, that's not too long. But the factory workers actually, during Chinese New Year, is the biggest people migration in the world. There's over 100 million people that travel uh, over the New Year period. And in that time, it's just no goods getting made. And why it's an important time to, to pay attention to is that um, whenever I've had any quality issues with products in China. And it, it's not happened very often, but when it does happen, it always tends to be around Chinese New Year. And that's because the workers who are like doing these orders are trying to finish them quickly so that they can get home for Chinese New Year. And they kind of make your orders in a rush uh, in that time. Uh, and similarly, when workers come back after Chinese New Year as well, it's not always the same workers that come back to the same factory. You know, they might go to another town uh, for another product uh, because that factory is offering them better uh, living conditions, better paid or anything like that. Or maybe it's closer to home or something like that. So there's like a retraining time in that when workers come back after Chinese New Year, if you've never made a backpack before, but you're now in a backpack factory, it's going to take a little bit of time for you to understand this product and to learn how the fabrics are cut and sewn and, and all that and put together and stuff like that. So I always allow a bit of time before placing orders. And, and for that reason, you kind of want to be able to place a forecast order at the start of the year to avoid that pre-Chinese New Year and post-Chinese New Year period. And it, as well as we sort of discussed, like the shipping prices are extremely high um, during the Chinese New Year period, like right before and right after. So again, it's a time I like to avoid. But the Chinese New Year uh, is actually like a lunar holiday. So this year it was the 12th of February, five days ago. Last year it was January 25th. So the date is not the same. Like for us, it's like, you know, New Year's Eve, December 31st. It's it's not the same date every year uh, in China. And uh, every year it's got a different animal and there's, there's 12 years 
uh, 12 different animals and this year is the year of the ox um so but one thing i would recommend is definitely wishing all your suppliers a happy chinese new year it's their most important holiday of the year and um, you can literally go into google and type in uh, happy chinese new year year of the ox and just grab an image and then save that image and just write your factory's name on top of it write your own company name say everyone at you know kg enterprises wishes everyone at you know Shanghai Trading and Co. Uh, happy Chinese New Year, Year of the Ox, and then you just have this image uh, as well, and that's quite a special touch. Uh, definitely recommend you sending that by WeChat or by email, and then if you want, you can also send a gift uh, as well if you like. Uh, but they tend to exchange red envelopes, which is cash. So unless you want to right. send cash, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm also accepting red envelopes for anyone who's interested. Uh, I told my company, yeah, our uh, international offices are in uh, China and. <laughs> trying to send a random envelope to us via WeChat doesn't happen and it can't happen right now. So <laughs> it's almost like they try and it doesn't, and it doesn't work just because of like banking and whatnot and through apps. So it, it's, it's always a nice gesture, but yeah, absolutely. Those are great tips in terms of like working with the supplier um, around this time of year. Um, and, and it's always like people question, like, do they really shut down that long? Yeah. It's a very special holiday and time for a year where they take off spending with family, they travel, uh, just like just like uh, people tell, like between Thanksgiving and New Year's, it's almost like a almost like a relaxed time of year. Not much productivity is going on, but yeah, just uh, make sure you plan for that every year. Make sure you know that calendar. Uh, already right now, we were talking about with our creative yesterday on our show. Like they're already planning out for Q4 and doing Christmas promos and stuff like that. We'll do the same thing and know your logistics and shipping calendars and kind of work that out. Or do you have any like? Uh, easy steps or like guides for people, maybe this is on your YouTube page, that are just starting out and sourcing like quick wins uh, for them that they can make sure that they're hitting all the check marks uh, for, for their uh, for their business? Yeah, for sure. So uh, on my YouTube channel, I've got a video for kind of like every topic. I've got a video on like the pros and cons of working with sourcing agents. I've got a video on how to arrange your first sample, you know, the type of wording to put on the documentation to make sure you don't pay any import duty, the stages of different samples. Um, I've got a video on like uh, software tools for uh, for sourcing. I sort of break down, uh, you know, the, the advantages of, of using those and how to use them. Uh, I've got a video on uh, how to get a low MOQ, uh, you know, your low minimum order quantity for your first order. I've got an online video of how to navigate the online Canton Fair for when that comes around. So kind of like every step in the journey, every step in the process, um, I've got a video on it. And the one that I'm working on right now is quite special, actually. It's the first time I've done this. Um, I'm making a video on how to source products from the USA uh, because, uh, yeah, yeah, during so Chinese- We're so special. Look at us. Yeah, yeah. And, US gets, yeah. yeah, people forget about that. Like, you can source lots of great products from the United States, but it's only specific ones. I'm assuming that's what you're going to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel that like, okay, majority of products come from China, but anything that comes from the USA is either something that you put on your skin or you put in your mouth, uh, any, any skincare, any cosmetics or, or any food products. So I'm like, all right, well, how, I, I want to figure this out for myself. So I kind of like went through my way of how I would find US suppliers, how I would communicate with them, uh, how I would find them, how I would negotiate with them, because it was a little bit different. And there's loads of pros and cons of dealing with USA versus China. And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll do this while it's Chinese New Year, while I've got a bit of free time with the Chinese suppliers. Now I can do this, you know, with the U.S. suppliers. And I've kind of like documented that process. So I'm making a step-by-step -step guide of, of how to source from the USA as well. That's awesome. And then is there is there almost like an Alibaba, is there a great resource that you go to or have found through that process? You're or right. is that or is that like a, is that like a coming soon? That, 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 that's definitely a teaser. Yeah, you'll have to watch the video. Ah. 
Yeah. <laughs> killing me, man. No, I'm just kidding. That's that's awesome. Yeah, uh, it's that's always something I've always wondered too because the United States have so many different factories too, and I know they're starting to come back in terms of like local sourcing. But putting on your face or putting it in your mouth—that's it's not the most uh, exciting tagline to. Uh, that should be the thumbnail for the video, actually. <laughs> United States, we're good at things that you put on your face put or your put in your mouth. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> That would we would get a lot of different like censorships and all this other fun stuff. I'm sure, like <laughs> that would, would get banned you, on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say YouTube may not uh, allow you to uh, release that on their channel. So here, here we are. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, just maybe one other, uh, a couple, one more thing before we wrap up our show today. For for all these different things, you're obviously learning yourself. What other like educational forums are you kind of? Uh, going through and you're either sharing with people or you're learning yourself in terms of like sourcing um, from different countries. Is there a way that you yourself are, where are you learning? I'll, I'll, uh, you know, kind yeah. of been up to date on everything. To be honest, I always just learn by doing and um, I was always just sourcing in person in China. And for me, like online sourcing is something that I've just had to master in the last year because we didn't have a choice. So I'm like, right, okay, if I'm going to be sourcing from Alibaba, let me figure out how to do it in the best way. And kind of like that step-by-step -step process, which we talked about, I just figured that out. Like, okay, if I'm buying online, this is how I'm going to do it. And then after I learned it myself, I'm like, right, well, now let me put it in a presentable and teachable format for other people to learn from as well. So everything I do, I just kind of learn learn it by doing and um, just kind of use my experience from what I've learned from Chinese manufacturers and to really uh, utilize what they value and sort of um, plug that into this process as well. That's awesome. And you're not in that course that you're doing, you're, you don't do a course or anything like that. It's all free information that you're just giving people, obviously. Um, yeah. you know, you're, you're learning, you're selling items on your crush in another way. So you're trying to get that information out to people. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And what, a couple more comments I came through real quick. Uh, Keen has great videos. I'm glad I found you. And then Ryan through Gary Wong, seven figure sellers. Show me. Yeah. Uh, thanks easy. I appreciate that. Yeah. We, uh, I was just on Gary Wong's seven figure seller summit. We'll be on the, I'll be, uh, we're a sponsor Keen. I know you mentioned this. We're on the billion dollar seller summit as well with, uh, Kevin King. So I know, we're supposed to be a part of that. I know you're a part of that event, I believe, correct? That's coming up. Uh, I, I was at the last two events. So you're at the last two. Yeah, I'm not sure if Kevin will bring me back because he likes to bring new speakers. But Kevin, if you're listening, bring me back, man. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, Kevin, if you're watching or listening to our podcast, like let, let's uh, make sure Kian represents again as well. So there's all these interesting digital events. Do you ever think like, do you think 2021 will have in-person events again? Just in your oh. own opinion? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm actually going to one next week. Uh, in uh, <laughs> you're in Dubai, like, yeah. come on, man! Like, the rest of the world doesn't have no, no, no. The same so, uh, I'm flying to Cancun next week. Um, ah, uh, that's right. Network. I've got an event there uh, organized by my good friends Dan and Athena. Uh, so we've got a meet up there for all the members. So uh, we're just going to go over there and make a presentation on product development, which I've been working on uh, at moments. So it's going to be super exciting. So it's already happening, you know. Um, yeah. And I think the Canton Fair will be back, not for the April one, but for the October one. We need to have Dan and Athena on. Athena is super busy. She's doing Branded by Women right now, but she's mm -hmm. always doing something. I've only talked to them once, but we need to get them on and just have like a tight network, like mastermind group, because they all have so much content to share with people. So I, you need to put a bug in the area to make sure that we get them on our show. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're amazing. I, I, I was with Dan today, um, but he's actually flying out to Mexico tonight. So when I'm with uh, them uh, next week, I'll, I'll give them a shout and I'll get them <laughs> out. 
I'll make sure to put the Slightly put this uh, video into his uh, direct messages, and we'll uh, we'll make sure. Hey, listen to the very end, Dan. Uh, but yeah, and then obviously uh, Scott referred to our our video series of the United States suppliers of think of the click through rate. That's very true, Scott. Yeah, I, I think the click through rate would be phenomenal for a title like that. But hey, Ken, I know you got to bounce. Uh, thank you for spending just even this little extra couple of minutes uh, with us today. For people who have questions or want to learn more information, what are the best ways to really get in touch with you? Or I don't think you work with people, but just like, how do you like get your knowledge to them in terms of if they have questions about sourcing? Yeah, sure. If, if anyone's interested to learn more about sourcing stuff, uh, definitely YouTube is the best way to connect with me. I've got a channel called Sourcing with Kian. Uh, I've got a Facebook group of the same name. Uh, it's got over like four and a half thousand members. And, um, you know, there, anyone who's got any questions about sourcing, you can just sort of post it in the group and either myself or the community uh, will answer the questions. But yeah, Ryan, as you mentioned, my YouTube channel is at like 4,900 and something. So I'm, I'm hoping- We'll get it there. Yeah, we can get over 5,000. So if anyone's listening, I would greatly appreciate uh, the, the old uh, subscribe button. Um, but yeah, I'm also on uh, Instagram, Kian underscore JG, where I'm a little bit more social there uh, on LinkedIn as well. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. That's something that Sharon got me into. Um, so if you want to work with me on a one-to-one -one basis, I do have a Calendly link, which is just calendly.com forward slash sourcing with Kian. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, and I got that special project that we talked about, which I'm going to come back on the show uh, to, to discuss as well. But that's going to revolutionize uh, the sourcing game as we know it. This is big hype. I am so excited. You have to message me what this is offline. I have to know sure. it now. So, and I owe you a Yeti. I don't worry. I haven't forgot about that. So, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, get freaky. And he left his back in Scotland that had ping pong on it. So, we're going to make sure we hook him up some way, shape, or form with that because those got distributed as gifts is here and they're making their ways around to people. So, uh, yeah, we'll make sure we hook you up with that. But hey, thanks, man, for uh, hopping on. This is fantastic in terms of like, education in general like the, there's so much more we can go into obviously like low mlqs and how do you get that with agents but uh you're a busy guy check out his youtube page everyone to make sure that you are uh keeping up to date with the top uh, sourcing practices because i know you've been around doing alibaba stuff with helium 10 they're doing all that functionality stuff so there's also awesome content coming from that as well so uh to stay up to date follow him on social media on instagram and then on LinkedIn as well. So, Kian, thanks so much, man, for uh, hopping on today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Absolute pleasure. And I look forward to chatting to you again soon. All the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Uh, and then for everyone else who's on uh, listening to us again live, thanks for joining us on another episode of Crossover Commerce. Again, we go live almost every single day. I'm going live six times this week. I'm still kind of uh, a little crazy to do this with everyone who's coming up. Uh, but I do it for you to drop knowledge like we did with Kian today to make sure that you have all the information necessary to take your business to the next level. Um, actually, tomorrow, we're going to be talking with Joe Valley of Quiet Light Brokerage, reverse engineering your business to an exit. I'm super excited to be talking with him. Obviously, with aggregators and roll-up companies, there's lots of ways to sell your business to a point, when you get to a point of exiting. We're going to talk about tips and tricks to do that. And then also on Friday, I have a two-for-one special Friday's going to be, it's typically laid back, but on Friday, uh, we're doing a live roundtable event with a Branded by Women uh, event. We have four speakers who are coming on who are going to be talking about their life in Amazon, how they're crushing it. I have a lot of really awesome uh, guests that we're just going to be uh, picking their brains about uh, just the different facets of Amazon that they represent. So stay tuned for that in the morning and then afternoon. We're going to be talking with uh, Andrew Morgan's of Marketology, building an Amazon legacy as well. So definitely check us out later this week. And then even next week, 
the guests keep piling up with uh, star-studded content. I say stars because they're big players in the space with great success um, that they've been able to drive for their own business as well as others. So stay tuned. I'll make sure I make that announcement on Friday. So again, if you're listening to us live, continue to subscribe to our channel on Ping Pong Payments or follow me on social media at Ryan Kramer on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Go ahead and follow me there. And then subscribe or follow us every single day. Make sure you share this episode on social media channels so that Kian's message gets out to the Amazon community. Again, I'm Ryan Kramer with Crossover Commerce. Thanks for joining us again today on another episode. Stay safe and stay healthy, everyone.